You're listening to Inspire Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops. Welcome you wonderful people and thank you for listening to Inspire Instructor Training Podcast. So we've got some exciting news. Um, There's only 19 days now until the launch of Inspire Instructor Training's new membership called the Inspirationals. Uh, With this membership, we are going to be offering Zoom sessions, training videos, um, ask us anything on the Facebook, um, Facebook Lives, sit in the back of lesson videos, um, so loads and loads of extra content um, and and on today's podcast we talk about um, how CPD is so important and, and we aim with this Inspirationals membership to offer you a mentorship and a continuous training development so you're not just going off and having a one-off big course once a year at best what we're trying to offer you is continuously improving as instructor continually having support there to become the best instructor you can be so yeah 19 days we're going to be putting out loads more content to let you know what's going to be on offer um so for now if you just go and join and follow us on facebook um inspire instructor training and um, all the information will be going out on on that. Um, so on to today's podcast, um, we talked to Lee Sperry, um, the ADI and PDI doctor. Um, Lee is great, he's got loads of um, knowledge and he shares that with us today and we talk about uh, word directions and instructions given to the pupil clear and given in good time. Um, and we also discuss unit five of the national standards for right, driver and rider training, which is all about CPD. Um, and then if you listen to the end, you can listen to Lee's um, great top tip at the end. So on to the show. So welcome everyone. We have a doctor in the house tonight. Um, so welcome Lee Sperry. Um, thank you for coming on and joining us. And you're very welcome. <laughs> Um, so, Lee, I wanted to kind of uh, start out with, as I have done with, with everyone, um, I always get interested by everyone's different journeys into the industry and through the industry. I think this industry in particular has quite a, like, a massive range of different stories and characters within it. Um, so I always quite like to get a bit of background on you guys before we, we dig into some learning. Um, so, yeah, how did you get into the industry, Lee? Um, well, um, I used to be a store manager uh, for Blockbuster Video. Um, I did that for a few years um, with, with quite a lot of success, actually. My uh, my store won, I got, I got the Store of the Year Award, um, and they, they sent me to New York uh, for five days with like three grand spending money. It was all it was really, really plush, really nice. And I'd not even been... Um, abroad before I didn't even have a passport so my first trip on a plane was to New York um and that started to go you know a bit pear-shaped um and I kind of saw that it was um and the thing that being a store manager was like a it was like juggling balls um we had like you know you was in you, you merchandise the store and you recruited staff and you did the schedule and you 
set sales targets and it was just like you know but the 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 ball that i enjoyed juggling the most was was training the staff um because i'd gone from being a little till person to an assistant manager and then a manager so i wanted to help other people in the company make that journey so i found the training really really nice um and then when when blockbuster was was sort of showing signs of decline i thought i'm i'm, I'm jumping off the ship uh, i can see where it's going um the um the the ceo at the time um he we went to a big national conference and one of the questions to him was what what how do you see kind of the influx of online uh rental and then and how affecting the business and he said uh my my daughter downloads music and it takes uh 15 minutes to download one song so who's going to download a film uh, and that was in 2005 and that's when i decided yeah it's time to go he's not he's not seeing the big picture um and you know four years later it was it was wound up so <laughs> i got out at the right time but i thought you know training staff is what i love um so how can i do that without having to juggle all the other balls um and it just kind of seemed like a a nice fit um it was something that i was thinking about for maybe a couple of years and I once went to my mum's house for a cup of tea and there was a radio for a radio advert on for Red Driving School. They were doing like a big recruitment at the time. And she turned around and said, Lee, I think you'd be really good at that. And that was the first time anyone had said that after like two years of me thinking about it. And it just kind of confirmed that's what I'm going to do. Um, so that that's how it all started, really. Um, and I qualified in 2008. So, OK, so you started in 2008 um, and... Did you go with Red then? Um, well, I trained with I trained with um, what were called the Instructor College at the time, uh, and they were bought by Red. So by default, I was then with Red. Um, but because of my experience in the training, um, I decided not to do a franchise with them. Uh, I went with AA instead. Um, did that for two years, um, then went independent and built myself my business up from scratch. You know, like like you do. Um, then I moved to Liverpool in 2017 and I really didn't want to go through the whole building up a business again from scratch in a place that I had no, you know, no, nobody knew who I were. So I went back with AA then, um, and I've sort of been franchised with them since, um, although they're now a very small part of what I do. Um, I still sort of franchise with them because it's kind of easier, <laughs> which we're going to be talking about on a different thing soon about uh, based on questions that we've seen this morning. But yeah, it's, um, you know, I do that, but I don't work with learners anymore. Um, so that's kind of been the big change over like the last 18 months, just kind of purely with PDIs now and ADIs. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's interesting. So I'd like, if it's very similar to my story in that in, in that I was, with BSM, then went solo, and then went back to BSM um, for different reasons. But um, yeah, sort of kind of similar sort of kind of story there. Um, I also, again, find it interesting that you're with, you're still with the franchise. And which I think, again, if you think about the typical driving instructor story, and actually, if you, if you think about someone who is training driving instructors on a regular basis, it's not the typical the typical story i would say maybe i suppose there are lots of trainers within those big schools but um they're not necessarily putting themselves out out there like you are um 
so yeah what's you said it's easier what like are there any particulars there that have kept you with with aa um well i mean there's there's contractual obligations uh, at the moment which if maybe they weren't there then maybe i wouldn't be with them um but we'll see where where the future holds or what the future holds in that regard. Um, but when I've always put it together in terms of, especially when I've, I was starting in a new place. So when I moved back to Preston, it was the same thing again, like nobody who knew who I were. And it's like when I moved to Liverpool, it was the same. So, you know, I put down all the numbers in terms of, you know, buying a car or renting a car and insurance and tax and, and advertising because nobody knew who I were again. And it, it wasn't that much different with the franchise for AA. So I thought it's just easier um, to, to just focus on what I do and not have to worry about all the other stuff. Um, I think when I put the numbers together, it was a bit cheaper to be independent, but it weren't that much cheaper. Um, you know, so I thought, yeah, just, just easier. I can just, just do my, you know, just do my work and not have to worry about the rest of it, um, which makes it easier, I think. Yeah, I think it's, I, I, I just find that really interesting because it's, they get like the big companies and the big franchises get a bit of a a bad rep sometimes because sometimes the service isn't, isn't great. Um, but, and and I, I think some people even think about this about small franchises as well, actually. Some people look at that and go, why you, why don't you just go on your own? Um, and it's because it's not for everyone, everyone. <laughs> Um, and it is that trade-off between, I suppose, cost and hassle. Um, yeah, that's completely what it is. I mean, that that's I, I've done both, um, and I know and I know which one is less hassle. Um, I mean, I'm at kind of a point now where I've got a lot of people telling me that you know you don't need the AA anymore. You know, because of your reputation now, you could you could do something on your own. But at the moment, I'm tied into a contract. Um, so when that contract ends. Um, then I can have a rethink about you know what I want to do, but at the moment I'm I'm kind of stuck whether I wanted to be or not really at the moment. So, do you think a little bit of that lack of hassle in having to find your maybe like your regular PDIs in car training has mm. in a way left you that space to set up your ADI PDI doctor, and you may not have been able to do that if you were solo. Um, potentially, I mean I I do get. I think if I didn't have the ADI doctor thing, then I would still work with learners because I'd have the time to, um, you know, you, you'll always have a scenario where there's more people who want to learn to drive than there are people that want to be a driving instructor. So I think it's very hard to do PDI training full time without having learners. But what I've just done is, is swapped out learners for the online side of things. Um, so I think whether, whether I was franchised or not, I think that would be the same situation. Um, but I get, I do get, you know, I get some PDIs from from AA, and then I work with my four wheels as well, and they give me some PDIs. But it would never be enough to fill a diary for a week. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say probably seventy percent of my diary now is online anyway, so I only need that little bit of support from like my four wheels, AA, BSM, that kind of thing. Um, plus, I generate my own PDIs as well through through you know people who know me in the area, so. Yeah, it's becoming less and less that I need to be with the AA for, for to to keep working with PDIs full time. Um, but that over the next eighteen months, that's where that'll kind of come to a head. Either way, I think. Maybe they'll listen. They'll give you a pay rise. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> um, um, so you mentioned a couple of times about not teaching learners, uh, which I think is interesting, and in, in that a lot 
a lot of trainers they get to that point and they and they stop teaching learners um do you miss it uh yes and no um i mean i still do teaching learners because obviously with part three training uh the option is that you know the pdi might want to see a lesson um and, and I'll, they'll jump in the back and i'll demonstrate a lesson for maybe 40 minutes um and then we'll swap back over and they'll, they'll do a lesson um so i still you know i'm pretty hands-on with learners i just don't have my own um but i think you know i've if, you know, 15 years is kind of a long time doing the same thing. Um, so I think it's kind of a refreshing change. Um, although I do, I do miss with, I do miss learners, but that satisfaction you get, you, you know, when someone passes is the same as when someone passes a part three exam. So it's, I'm not missing out from, from that side of things. Yeah. I think actually almost not, not everybody, but almost it it's, I think passing a part three, I, I find is more satisfying from my side yeah. because it's this sort of kind of like almost like learning to drive is kind of like what everyone does. Um, and, and a lot of people see it as just a rite of passage. And whereas this like becoming a driving instructor for a lot of people is a lot of hard work and a lot of like, they put a lot into it and there's a career on the line and, financials yeah. and stuff so actually um the satisfaction of someone passing from that side i think actually can sometimes be be stronger yeah i think you're right i think that the satisfaction is is definitely stronger but that's mitigated against the stress <laughs> of it as well because if you know you're talking about someone's career you're talking about someone's livelihood um i didn't really see that you know until i started working with pdis that like you know i need to be at the top of my game here because that their their livelihood is that they the you know their what they feed the the kids with you know this is the money for that um so you you can't do this half-assed you know you you've got to really invest in it you've got to be you know you got to do everything you can to help these people get over the line because it's their livelihood at risk isn't it so it's it comes with actually it comes with more responsibility which then in turn when they do pass is like euphoric and really nice. <laughs> Can't sound like Spider Man. Um, <laughs> you're not into the Marvels, are you? Um, <laughs> Terry would have got that. Uh, <laughs> I, I do make a reference. I have seen Spider Man. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's interesting that, it, and you're right. I, I get the same. Is you really get invested in in someone's journey and and wanting to wanting them to obviously pass but yeah you do feel the pressure just <laughs> like sat up at night going how can I help this PDI or um what can yeah. we do what can we do on our next session um the on that note then so actually you said about how this is their livelihood this is how they're paying they they're, they're like mortgage is that something that maybe could be changed in the industry in a sense it, it like do we sort of kind of set ourselves up for this pressure by allowing PDIs to start the job and and I know the trainee license isn't supposed to be for any but people do use it particularly if you're paying for a franchise and stuff um yeah is there do you think there's maybe something that should change there um I think the trainee license has its kind of pros and cons isn't it so the the hands-on experience of the job is, is great for them um you know and, and back in the day you know when I took my part three I didn't I didn't go on it because there was, for me, the, in my eyes, there was no point at all because I thought, well, my training's role play and the exam is role play. So I don't really need to. Um, but, you know, it's 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 definitely got its advantages, but it also comes with its pressures as well, which would be the cons that you, you PDIs feel pressure to, you know, to, to perform at a certain standard that they might not be at yet. 
because they're getting paid to do it. Um, and they get the whole, the same pressure of, you know, parents, you know, having a go at them if the, you know, if it's not right. And, you know, and I think that that can sometimes be a little bit too much to take. Um, you know, I think it, it, you know, people aren't free to just mess up because there's consequences because someone's paying for it and there'll be a complaint or, do you know what I mean? And, and as you know, that the best kind of training is consequence free and non-judgmental, but they are then put in a situation where they will be judged by the learner and the parents, um, you know, because they're paying for a service. And a, a lot of the the national driving schools, um, the, the, the rate of pay is the same. So they're, they're paying full price for a PDI. Um, and I don't think they know that. I don't think they realize that at the time. Um, but uh, I think certainly with, I don't think it's the case with AA, but with, with my four wheels, um, the, the rate of pay is the same. So those franchise, uh, those PDIs are, 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 you know, from the customer's point of view, should be, you know, giving the same level of service that a fully qualified ADI is doing. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure in that, isn't there, actually? And and a lot of benefit to, even if actually you're on a trainee license, maybe offering out um, free lessons uh, on, on occasion that you get. Um, I remember actually um, Terry talked about this on one of his podcasts um about whether you're pdi adi whatever just like offering out a free lesson where you get to be selfish as as an instructor like you go i'll give you a free lesson but this one's about me i'm gonna try all this weird stuff that i learned on this course um and it's probably gonna feel weird and it's not gonna work but we'll we'll go with it and then we'll see and then i'll find out what does work and, and stuff so yeah maybe that that's the answer is is also offering those sessions where you get to be a bit as selfish as a PDI or radio. Yeah. I mean, that that's what I always suggest for my PDIs. I think whenever I'm there, it should be a free lesson. Um, Cause in the nicest possible way, I don't care about your learner. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for you. Right. So if I need to, if something happens that could, if unfixed lead to you failing your part three, then I've got no qualms at all at stopping the lesson and having a proper lengthy 10, 15 minute conversation about this thing. And the learner's just going to sit there. And that's, that's tough because I'm not there for that. That's not my job. Um, so if the learner is getting a free lesson, they're going to get lots of benefits from it, but they're also, I think the PDI is then not going to feel pressure and, and try and hurry me up, which I've seen before. Uh, rightly. Yeah. The learner sat there. Um, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing where, that led to that, where I've said, you know, whenever we do a lesson, make sure it's a free one for that, for that PDI, uh, for, for that learner, um, because they'll still benefit from it. So they'll, of course, they'll want to take it, um, but it takes the pressure off you. Um, and it takes pressure off me as well, because I can just be about you and I'm not, you know, we're not all looking at our watches going, oh, come on, we need to get this moving again. Um, so yeah. I think it's. I think it, free lessons is really important as well as as that mixture. Of, yeah, no, yeah, I I, I, I agree, and I think um, weirdly though, I think those lessons with, with the pupils probably gain more from those lessons than the rest because they've got got us in the back chipping in with advice. Um, okay, so uh, moving on, I just kind of wanna um, wanted to sort of kind of be intrigued about uh, your training a little bit. Um, and how you found your training in the industry. I know you sort of just mentioned earlier about the fact you went through role play and your test was role play. Um, the the good old days, uh, probably not. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, how how did you find your training as you went through and and then sort of going solo and and all that sort of kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I think I mean 
I, I always say to my PDIs that I am the case study for every mistake that you could make. I've probably made it. Um, and I can use that as kind of a case study and go, don't do this because I did this. <laughs> you know, I, I always use myself as, you know, not another scapegoat, but, you know, I've got experience. I've literally made every mistake you can probably think of. Um, but yeah, my training initially was great. Uh, I had a trainer called Sean, who's now a personal trainer. Um, and he was really good. Um, he was, you know, fun. He was relaxing and he did the job really, really well. Um, and then I, then the mistakes started. Um, I know it's something we're going to talk about later on, but I just, I isolated myself from everybody. Um, I didn't have any driving instructor friends because in my head, I, I think, I think it's probably because of maybe like a, a football thing or, but, you know, I, I always like to see it as, or I did at the time kind of, you know, me against you, you know, so it was like all the driving instructors in my area are the, my rivals, my enemies, uh, the examiner is the enemy, the ultimate, the big boss, um, that we need to defeat. So it was, it was very isolating. It was me and my learner against the world. Um, which was kind of weird looking back, but I think it's probably because I was so young and maybe didn't have the maturity to do the job effectively. Uh, and I think I made a lot of mistakes because of my age. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I mean, I was, I was 25, but I think I was a very immature 25. Um, people say I'm an immature 42 now, but you know, <laughs> I have the level of maturity required to do the job now, I think, which back then I didn't. Um, so yeah, I, I made the mistake of of just kind of plodding along and and not listening. Obviously, back then there wasn't things like your podcast and and, and the instructor podcast and the, the other ones out there. Uh, but I probably wouldn't have listened to them anyway, so it's irrelevant. <laughs> um, it was just me against the world, um, and I you know, I did well and I had a good pass rate and everything. Um, but I was, I think it's the same in a lot of industries, and I suppose it's the same in sport as well that if you stand still, you fall behind. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize I was until, until I found out on my standards check. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. What, what changed? Um, so <laughs> what happened on your standards check? Um, well, I, when I, when I use this, when I use this story um, to help PDIs, I always refer to myself as the stupid ostrich. Um, <laughs> Cause that's what I did. Head bang straight in the sand um, for years just plodding along doing my own thing. Um, and that came to a head where I went for my first standards check and failed. And the examiner said that that was like a lesson from a time warp. <laughs> Actual words of the examiner. Nice. And I thought it was brilliant. The, the learner thought it was brilliant. And we were laughing going, oh yeah, that'll be a grade six and I'm like no, no it's not grade six anymore it's grade a but I'm, I'm I should I, you know I feel confident that I'll get grade a because I've got a grade six for the last two times um and yeah she failed me or he failed me it was a yeah it was a man he failed me and um I my, my the, the complete arrogance of who I was at that point just assumed that he was uh you know not a very nice examiner let's say and um I went and did it again three months later in a different town with a different examiner, thinking there's a solution right there, not seeing him again. And of course, I failed again. <laughs> and then I was, you know, an hour away from losing my job. So that was when, you know, the, the penny dropped in terms of you need to get more training. 
Um, and, and that's something that I see quite a lot. I mean, that that's why I think I enjoy the AI doctor, PDI doctor thing, because the majority of the time I spend with people are people who were where I was panicking in fear. Um, so I, I feel like I can help them because I've, I've been through what they've been through. Yeah. And so you said about um, you'd had sixes before. So had you done standards check in the old style? The check test. The check test. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, so you'd done a couple of those. And then it it's when it changed to standards check that you then got caught yeah. out because my guess is you were probably quite instructor led and, and then that threw, threw you when, when suddenly you were yeah. being told not to be. I was doing everything that I'd always done that worked. Hmm. Um, and that's when people fail standards check now, that's what they say. Uh, I've always done it like this. It's always been fine. You know, and a lot of people in the industry still refer to it as the check test. Um, and they do that because they think it is the same exam with a different name. Uh, and of course, it's totally different. Uh, it's completely different. And th they're always the ones I worry about. If you say check test, I'm worrying about you because, <laughs> because you haven't changed. <laughs> um and, you know, that's where, you know, th that was, like I said, when the penny dropped, where I thought you, you need to completely retrain because everything that you were doing before doesn't work anymore. So I'm intrigued now. Um, the, so you, you've changed, you're completely changed your style. And obviously you must have done to get to what you're doing now. Um, so we, I hear when this argument comes up on Facebook and, and, and situations that the argument is, I've, like you said, I've always done it this way. My pass rate's great. Um, why would I change when it's working? That sort of kind of um, argument. So you did change partly because you had to, because you <laughs> were a last chance saloon. It wasn't partly because of that. It was because. Entirely because of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> so did, did ha like comparing yourself back then to what you, I, I suppose in the eyes of the DVSA at the time, what you were a good instructor. Hmm. Um, and now you're a good instructor under the new terms of the DVSA, which, which instructor do you prefer? Um, definitely the, the, I mean, it's not, it didn't change. It got better. Um, that's the, probably the best way to think of it is that we discovered as an industry, better ways to, and more effective ways of doing the job. So if you did it the old way, it still worked, but it wasn't as good as the new way. Um, and I think there's still a lot of instructors that look at the new way and think, it's not as good as the old way, um, partly because of, you know, that, you know, things always used to be better back in the day, um, but partly because they're not very good at doing the new way. Um, and that's often the thing. It's like, well, if, if you're crap at coaching, you'll say that instruction is better because you're better at it. Um, so I think, you know, I, I was kind of fortunate to be having like a foot in both camps where I've, I've done both and I can categorically say it's better this way because it creates a better finished product, which is a learner who thinks for themselves and and has their own thoughts and not a little robot person. Um, I mean, I, I, I saw this kind of a few weeks ago on a lesson where um, a, a learner was moving off at the side of the road and he didn't signal. And my PDI said, you've, you've not signaled there and then started to make a big deal about not signaling and started to analyze it. And I said to the learner, why did you not signal then? Because that should have been the question that she should have asked him to find out his thoughts. And he said, well, there's no one around. 
And I thought, that is exactly what we want. And you're having to go in for it. You know, he's not this little robot that's gone, check, 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 signal, handbrake, because that's what I've been taught to follow the commands of. Um, he was having to look around. He went, nah, it's not around, not going to signal. And I thought, that's brilliant, that. You know, and that's what we want. Um, but I think that doesn't often happen because we're still teaching steps in a lot of cases, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I think actually there's a little bit in that story that made me think, actually, if nothing else, just ask, ask the people what their thoughts are, <laughs> because yeah. that's going to get you a long way in in, in, in correcting what you're doing. Because um, I see that quite a lot, again, where someone kind of goes off on a on a tangent or starts talking and, and I and I have to just kind of you chuck in that like, what are, what are you thinking? And then and then the, the story completely changes because we assume um i actually got caught out on this recently myself teaching my daughter to drive um which is a very different dynamic because when you're, you're when when you're the um her dad you do know better uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, um but i quite often because obviously we we have that dynamic she she was also comfortable enough to tell me when i was wrong um and i would be saying oh is it because of this this and this and she went no that's not at all what i was thinking um and i think that's it, it it made me go, oh, I wonder if I do that with my other learners. And I don't think I do. Um, yeah. I think it was just the door <laughs> scenario. But it, it made me think about it. And actually, it's so important that to to make sure you're getting what the, the people's thoughts and, and feelings, um, because you're not going to be able to fix the problem if you don't don't dig into those into those. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the key thing is, is you know, and I, and I speak to a lot of PDIs that say, you know, is there a list of effective questions that you can send me? I'm like, no, just ask the question that you don't know the answer to. You know, you don't know why she's doing it. So find out. Yeah. <laughs> Get your thoughts on it. You know, <laughs> it's not difficult. Just find out what you don't know. Absolutely. Um, it's like being a little detective. I think sometimes when you're um, when you when you have a a fault or a situation in the car you yeah you you turn into a detective and I wonder if people sometimes even when they take that sort of kind of analogy they 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 run with the physical what happened yeah. and, and they're trying to work out what happened rather than the why did it happen and the yeah. why did the why did it happen is in in the people's head so yeah. <laughs> we, we've got to go hunting for that yeah, I think the language is important as well, you know, using sort of empowering language, like, why do you think, you know, if, if people often don't ask questions in the right tone, you know, the right tone. So if you said, you know, um, you know, why do you think you didn't check your left mirror? You know, why do you think, you know, it's coming from a place of inquisitive, you know, you, you, you want to know why they did, why they aren't doing that. You know, is it because they don't know they have to, is it because they don't understand why they have to, is it because their attitude is, mm, it's only a fault. You know, I just forgot, you know, do you forget your mum's birthday? Do you forget Christmas? Do you forget to look left and right when you cross the road? Oh, no. So it's not important then <laughs> to check your left mirror. So we need to make it important. Um, but, you know, it's finding out why is, is the question that you don't know the answer to. So ask it. Yeah. And I, I like the, the why do you think rather than why did that happen? Because it's it softens the blow. It, it's getting yeah. it's getting their opinion um yeah. and it shows them that as well doesn't it so yeah. it's it, it doesn't sound judgmental it's basically you know i'm not going to give you my thoughts i'm not going to give you my opinions or lecture you or judge you what's your take on it 
and and it, and it empowers them because they think, oh, he values my opinion. Yeah, I mean, another one. I just while we're on this topic, another one I use um, with with that because sometimes people struggle with that, um, like giving their opinion, particularly when they're not used to being asked for it. Um, so I can imagine a, um, an ADI or a PDI does a training session with with one of us and then gets told to go and ask the or they've listened to this and they go and ask those questions but they haven't been asking the pupils those questions and so the pupils suddenly like kind of like uh what um I don't know um, and that's where you get your I don't know from and you kind of need to train them up to to do that um, and one of the ways I kind of soften that blow is is give me some reasons I quite like that as a, a, an answer because a question because it sounds like there's more than one answer whereas if you say like tell me why that happened it's like oh there's one right answer to this and I've got I'm under pressure and I'm and and I don't want to get it wrong way so you give me give me some reasons why this why that might have happened and then that opens up the options to sort of kind of have a guess uh, at why it might have happened and then you'll stumble across the reason why it did within that that normally the first one they say to be honest but it, it just softens the blow and allows them those options um to to sort of kind of the freedom i suppose is, is what i go for um and helps them and you gotta train them you gotta train them to, to talk to you i think <laughs> yeah yeah um i mean you're right with what you said that is spot on um i think it also triggers self-reflection as well doesn't it where if you're if they're thinking about the reasons they're then analyzing it themselves and thinking about well yeah what could have been the reason so yeah it triggers self-reflection which is where learning happens anyway so uh -huh. that's a really good way of doing it yeah and the more you do that as well the more they then do that like post test and so mm -hmm. when when they get into a scenario after if you've built this ingrained idea in their head that they they analyze a scenario they're not just going to go oh that guy was an idiot they're going to go well what was my part in there what could i have done differently um and and situations because you've, you've just built that habit of, of of thinking about driving in that way which is what we want absolutely. Really, isn't it? yeah absolutely i mean that that's to, to use to use a bobism you, you, you're getting the learning out of people um and then they can use those you know risk management skills analysis skills when you're not there which ultimately is the case i mean I think as an industry, we still look at it as in, you know, when the learner is holding their pass certificate up in the air, that's that's the end. But that that's day zero for that person. So they need to have tools that they're going to use from that day onwards. That you know, and, and that's why I always say to my PDIs, you know, if you tell them, it'll feel more comfortable to just tell them. But if you get it out of them, then they are going to learn that long term and they're going to have the tools that they can use long term. So you're actually you know, it might feel a little bit cruel sometimes just not telling them the answer that you know, um, but it's in their best interest long term. And if we're talking about risk management, that's what we're doing long term, you know, rather than just until they pass the test. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've often thought about what the percentage of a person's driving is driving lessons. <clears throat> so like if you think like what you say, you do 50 hours or something versus the amount of hours you do for the rest of your life it's got to be like 0.000 percent of your life of your driving and so like you said but it might be the most important 0.0 because if, if you set them up with the tools to continue learning then, yeah. then we're going to sort of kind of create safer drivers on on the road yeah so i just want to um move on and talk about uh our competency for today so today's competency is going to be word directions and instructions given to the pupil clear and given in 
good time. So I think as always, I'm just going to pass this over to to the guest and say, um, yeah, how what, what does that mean to you, Lee? Um, oh, right, okay. So I mean, probably the first thing that I often see is it's almost like we misread it. Um, because I I asked PDIs what does this exactly what you just said to me? What does this one mean to you? And they say, uh, direct were, were directional instructions given to the people in good time. And I said, no, read it again. And they go, were directions and instructions given? So I was like, so it's not just about directional instructions, is it? And they go, do you know what? I've never thought of it like that. They're focusing always on directional instructions. So yeah, that's the first thing is it's two different things. Um, and looking at the first one in terms of giving directional instructions, you know, there's one simple rule, which is don't become part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, making sure that you're not delivering late or confusing instructions that if your learner does it wrong, it should be because they did it wrong. It shouldn't be because you've contributed to it or caused it. Um, you know, like a lot of things, your learner's performance is their potential minus distraction, isn't it? So if they're anxious, if they've got misplaced fear or stress or fatigue, you know, all this, the, all these things will diminish from their performance versus their potential. Um, but the question you should ask yourself is, is it you? Um, to give you another bobism, you know, pointing the finger of blame outwards, um, you know, point it inwards instead and, and ask yourself, is it me? Am I causing the distraction? Um, you know, and with directional instructions, I've heard a lot of corkers uh, this year um, ahead at the roundabout turn right. <laughs> so you just said ahead and right in the same in the same sentence there. Um, right, I'd like you to turn left. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, uh, you need to be in the right lane. And then the learner moves into the right lane and the instructor goes, what are you doing? I said left lane. <laughs> he said, no, you didn't. He said right lane. You meant the correct lane, didn't you? So, and that's just this year. Um, so the key thing is to, I suppose it's to know your learner. Um, so they've got to hear it and they've got to process it and they've got to carry it out. Are you giving them enough time? Uh, did they need it earlier? Uh, did, you know, how do you need to point sometimes? You know, some people with learning difficulties, they need to be pointed. You need to point, you know. So knowing your learner and what they need from you is, you know, is super important. Um, you know, and, and I suppose you, I always say to my PDIs on a trainee license, it's trial and error this, you know. So if you give an instruction that's too late, give it earlier next time. If you give it too early, you give it later next time. Um, but but find out from your learner, Um if they feel that they need to be, you know, pointed, you know, do you need to point them, you know, so it's all about knowing you, knowing the person really, which is kind of what client-centered learning is, isn't it? It's about making sure we're doing things in a way that work for that person, um, not in the way that you do it with everybody, you know, kind of robotically. Um, so I think with, with directional instructions specifically, it's, I think self-reflection on your own performance, which kind of ties into the unit five thing that we're going to talk about as well um is really important so if you're asking one of the one of the things in unit five is can you get feedback on your own performance in a non-defensive way so at the end of a lesson if you're saying to a learner so is there anything i've done that worked well for you today or anything that i did that didn't work so well you know if you've got that balanced relationship then you know they won't just say everything was great uh which they'll often do if you don't have that balance if you've got that 
kind of hierarchy of you're the all-knowing instructor and they're the stupid learner, they will always tell you that it was always great. Um, but if you've got the right balance um, between instructor and learner, then they might say, I feel that you were giving me the instructions a little bit too late today. And you go, that's brilliant. Because now I know for you to give them your earlier next time. Um, you know, so I think you'll only really know your learner if you get feedback on your own performance from them on a lesson to lesson basis. Um, and it's only when you know them that you'll know what instructions work for them. Um, something I saw a few weeks ago was we were approaching a, a roundabout. Um, and we could see the roundabout all the way down the street. We could see it coming. And the instructor waited until maybe 10 car lengths to give the instruction. You know, we had a conversation after that, that because we could see that roundabout coming from a long, far, you know, far away, what would have been the benefits of that learner knowing where they were going to go in advance? Because when they're driving on their own in real, in real life, they're going to know where they're going, you know? So it's not going to be sprung on them at the last minute, whether they go in the head or right at this roundabout, you know? So, you know, can we let them know as early as possible? So they've got time to actually think about it rather than just react to it, you know, like they would on a driving test. Um, so I think that's important too, that, you know, knowing the learner and, and working out what works for them. So can I jump in with a couple of questions on, on, on a couple of those things? So um, there was a couple of things. So you said about uh, signaling uh, too early. Uh, not not signaling, giving giving the the direction too early. You can give the direction too early. Like, is that possible? Um, you can if your learner is taught like a robot. Mm -hmm. So if your learner is going to go mirror mirror signal as soon as you say it, then you can give it too early. I think a lot of instructors use their directions for to, to kick off the MSPSL routine. Yeah, it's like a jumping off point, isn't it? It's like mm -hmm. that's the point that we do it. Um, and I think that's okay to start with. Mm -hmm. um, as the learner progresses, you, you could maybe give them two instructions and say, right, we're going to turn right at the roundabout and then at the next traffic lights turn left and just see what happens. Just, just see if they remember. Um, but it means that they can, you know, we've got a few in Preston where we've got, um, we, we can turn right at the traffic lights and we're always going to be turning right at the roundabout and you're turning right at the light into a you know two lane road. So it's beneficial for them to know that they're going right at the roundabout to then turn from the traffic light into the right hand lane. So, you know, so it's, you know, you can kind of build that in, I suppose, um, as you can build other things in like following the sat now, following road signs, or even just, you know, the later stages, just going, right, this is where we are. I want you to drive back to your house. Uh, and see, does MSPSL stack up as well as it did when they were being prompted to start it at a certain point? And, and then you can discover that from there. Yeah, I think one of the the things I, I think about when, when you're giving directions is seeing it as a level of instruction um, and and changing that level of instruction for the level of the pupil. So like we talked about, you mentioned um, in the early days, it is actually quite helpful to say it at a particular time to kick off the pupil's routine, but then quite deliberately bringing that further back with acknowledgement of the pupil as well. Don't just start suddenly doing it because they'll just do, you've taught them to start MSPSL at that route at that time. So you need to say, look, I'm going to start giving you the instructions earlier. And sometimes I go over the top with that. So we'll take, we'll, we'll turn into a road and I'll say, 
at the end of the road, we're going to turn left. It's quite a long way away. I want you to choose when you start that routine. And, and it starts to get them to look for the junctions and the clues and all that sort of kind of stuff. So I think within my question, when I was saying, like, could you signal to give the instruction too early? The answer is probably no. But as long as you've got that agreement with the pupil, um, even like when you said, like, take us home or take us to this place. So your your instructions are super, super early there because it's like the entire journey. Um, but with the agreement and, and for the right level of the pupil. Um, so the other thing I wanted to uh, pick up on was you talked about like the wording of the instruction. Um, are you quite particular with your guys, like how you, how you say, how you get them to to word the instruction, like given, sorry, not instruction, direction. I keep saying instruction. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am actually, I'm quite a stickler for that. Um, because I, I want them to do it the same way that they get it on the driving test. Um, it, you know, if you're going to give someone direct instructions, do it in that way. Um, I'm quite a stickler for not giving instructions to go ahead at mini roundabouts and traffic lights and crossroads, because on the test, it's very likely that they won't receive that instruction, considering what they told at the beginning to follow the road ahead at, you know, at all times. Um, that's something that I see quite a lot where we're given an instruction to maybe go ahead at crossroads. Um, when I ask the learner, so when I ask the PDI why they're giving that instruction, they'll say, well, uh, I'm managing the risk because I don't want to have to shout stop or jump on the dual controls at that crossroads. So it's looking at it from kind of a, a short-sighted risk management point of view rather than looking at it, you know, is your learner going to know that that's there because you've told them or did they know it was there? You know, and is it going to be on the driving test when they don't receive an instruction where the examiner is going to dual control them and fail the test? Or is it going to be even worse in real life when they have an accident? So telling your learner to go ahead at a crossroads is not managing risk. It's it's heightening risk I think, uh, because of what could happen in the future. Um, so I think it's much better to not give an instruction and to have that little alarm bell go off in your mind where they aren't slowing down. And then you can verbally intervene to then not have to physically intervene, but then look at that as a serious incident, a safety critical incident, and look at it as, you know, if you look back at the road that we're on, did you notice that it doesn't have a center line? But then all of a sudden, look, he gets one. And that 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 then tapers up to the giveaway line. And they go, oh, you know, I've never noticed that before. So there is that that really valuable learning taking place. Um, because you didn't give the instruction, the incident you know, was playing out, which you verbally intervened to prevent. But that's a real lesson that's going to take place where if you'd have, if you'd have given the instruction, you would never have known whether they knew it was there or not. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And, I, and although I rarely teach anything for the test um, and, and definitely not test focused, I think with the inst giving instructions, why not why not make it easier basically why not make it sound like the examiners so that it doesn't feel weird when they get in the car with the examiners um so I, yeah i i agree and i 100 again agree with the 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 crossroads thing I, uh, the only thing i would maybe add to that is the um the fact that again it maybe it's that level of support isn't it so if you've got a newer pupil you may be offering that advice but yeah certainly your pupils coming up to test you um you don't want to be telling them stuff like that um and quite often hear adis and pdis giving too much information I've, i actually quite often find the examiners give more information than i than i would give um i i sat in the back of a test this week and 
the examiner had said we're going to follow signs for Kubentine head and as we then approached the, the roundabout he said it, it it the road splits to the right you need to stay next to the white the, you need to stay in the lane nearest to the white line and I was like, I wouldn't have told my people that. <laughs> there's, some, there's, there's some pretty decent signposts and road markings telling them that. And I think it was because it was busy and you couldn't see the road markings. Um, but you could see the road signs. And if you were uh, on your own in the car there, you'd have had to work it out. And if you'd have gone the wrong way, you'd have had to go the wrong way safely. I, I, for me, that's... I, I wasn't complaining. But <laughs> um, but it, it, but it, it's that same thing you were talking about. It's like... The examiner has actually taken a bit of responsibility there for for the pupil and now i don't know if that pupil could do that in real life on their own you've got to question why as well you've got to think is this because they don't want an argument at the end is it because they want an easier life yeah. uh, i've only got 10 minutes between now and the next test i want you know i've got literally two minutes to go back in and grab something to eat and then come back out and do another test or an argument yeah just you know a classic one like that is you know when there's two lanes that turn right at the traffic lights uh they often say you know we're turning right at the lights there's two lanes available that you can use to turn right which is a massive clue as in don't go in the right one um oh, I <laughs> you know, say that. <laughs> yeah i do um but yeah i mean this one as well it's it's not just about directional instructions is it um it's about instructions in in general I mean, the, going back to what you were saying there, the some part of the criteria for the, you know, in the in the ADI one there is it's seen as a, a lack of competence if you give unnecessary directions. So that's that's the one that always clicks to my mind for going straight on at a crossroads. You know, to me that's an unnecessary direction. Um, but yeah, it's it's also about instructions as well um, that your learner is potentially relying on to perform a perform a task, isn't it? you know if you've agreed to to prompt them or agreed to talk them through something um and it's also about questions um and this is sort of an issue that i see especially when being assessed you know do i need to ask questions on part three for the sake of asking questions it's like no you don't <laughs> you know sometimes silence is important to let the learner think um you know and part of the again the criteria in the adi one for this one is are we distracting the learner? Can we can we overload them with too much information and, and distract them that way? Um, so for me, it's if you're going to ask questions, they they need to be the right questions. If you you know to not distract them. Uh, and for me, there's two types of questions. There's proactive questions that you're going to ask that are designed to proactively manage risk. Um, you know, what can you see ahead? What's the plan for this? Are you going to go or wait? Find out what's going to happen before it happens can be really valuable and help you manage the risk you know like that example there with like park cars on both sides and a car coming the other way you know what's the plan here are you going to go or wait you know a lot of people see that as well that's over instruction but it's a neutral question you know if you said to them where are you going to stop that's heavily suggesting that you want them to and therefore is over instruction is therefore helping <laughs> but if you ask them you know are you planning to go or wait then it's neutral so your learner could say I'm going to stop behind the red car there. So all is well. Or they could say, I'm going to, I've got enough room to get through the gap. And you can shut that down verbally before you get to a point where you physically have to intervene moments later. So questions designed to manage risk in a proactive way, they're all right. They're not going to distract them. But the other types of questions are the ones that you use to self-reflect on, on, on something that's not right. You know, So these are about past events, like what happened back at that roundabout there? 
you know, sometimes those questions are taking your learner's head into the past um, and that detracts from their focus on what's going on in the present and the future. You know, what's going on ahead? What might happen next? We're not thinking about that anymore. We're thinking about what happened back at that round about five minutes ago because that's where you've took their head. Um, and then there might be a little old lady stood on a zebra crossing that we didn't notice and we had to dual control them. That's because you're distracting them. Um, so, you know, for me, I've, I've always said, you know, learning happens at the side of the road and practice happens on the road. So, you know, there's a time and a place for self-reflection on past events. And it's quite often not on the move um, unless you can tick quite a lot of boxes. You know, is it going to distract the learner? Is number one, is it going to distract me? Am I going to be saying, um, so why do you think blah, 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 oh, uh, go left there. So that's distracted me from my direction instruction because I was in the middle of a conversation about something that just happened. Um, you know, and striking the balance between theory and practice is what they is what they look for on the standards check in the part three, isn't it? So it doesn't have to be, you know, on the move all the time. It, there, there is a time and a place to part them up, get learning to take place through self-reflection and then go and practice what we have learned on the road. And then we, we've got that balance. Um, but I think, you know, reading your learner's body language is important for this one as well, isn't it? Because, you know, do they look confused? Do they look stressed? And, and pointing that finger of blame inwards again and going, is that me? Have I caused this confusion? Have I caused this stress? You know, um, talking to them, finding out, um, is what you're doing working? Or is what you're doing actually causing problems? Um, and again, that like links into what we said earlier about getting feedback on your own performance. Um, when you were talking to me when we were at that roundabout, it was dead confusing. Brilliant. I'll remember not to do that next lesson then, and I can tailor my lesson better to you as an individual. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all of that. And, and I think, again, you pointed out that I think a lot of people think this competency is just about the the directions and, and actually probably you get marked down more for, for the other stuff, for the, for the instructions element um yeah the question thing actually is interesting because i you're right I, i'm i'm with you on this where it, the reflection needs to happen at the side of the road um because it is hard to reflect while you're driving even as an experienced driver like if you if you went like if i went for a drive and had to try and think of i don't know business plan or something like that while i'm driving i'm probably not driving very well while i'm do doing that or I'm, I'm certainly not at the top of my game um, and that, and you're asking an inexperienced driver to to do that. One one way to sometimes get around that, I find, is to flag it with the pupil. So flag the moment. Make sure that 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 they in like. So just remember that moment for me. Remember that blue car. Um, so that when you do get that opportunity to pull over, you you they've got it in their head uh, rather than just ignoring it and then talking about it later. Um, another one I sometimes use as well for to again to prevent prevent sort of over analyzing more and overthinking about behind is getting them to scale uh, like a, a situation in, in the moment. So like get, like I was on a lesson the other day um, and we were talking they were making decisions and and I just wanted them to scale their decision um, and and we were actually scaling the time it took from there brain to say yes to their foot to say yes um and we were scaling that and we were able to very then quickly as we exited the roundabout get a number 
Um, but I didn't normally then with scaling the number doesn't really matter and you want to dig into dig into the reasons behind but it gave me a number so that when we pulled over I could then say right that was a free talk to me about that free um, and, really and and that sort of kind of allows you to do a little bit of retrospective on the road but without have, waiting for like a long conversation and then the next roundabout's turning up and you're like oh shut up I need to talk about this <laughs> this one um that yeah. links into what you said about knowing your learner. You you know that 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 works for that person. Mm. Um, so that's really the key thing. I mean, the, the other thing with this one is kind of you know one of the don'ts in terms of the criteria is, is giving unnecessary instructions. And I think sometimes we do that, and it, this is where it kind of intermingles into lesson planning as well. Because um, I'll give you an example. I, I, I see this quite a lot where you know. The, the plan for the this this lesson is we're going to prompt the learner. Um, we're going to use prompts for, for this thing that we're, we're working on. Um, and I always say to them, well, <clears throat> what exactly are you doing there? What, what is exactly the help? What what bits do they want prompting with exactly? Um, you know, and they go, well, they've asked me to prompt them. You know, we're doing roundabouts and they've asked me to prompt them. It's like, well, what is it exactly where that where is this prompt going you know is it is it all the prompts of you you know and if we write out mspsl on a on a piece of paper and go right who is exactly doing what you know mirrors right who's doing that is that you or is that me what about the signaling what about choosing the lane is that me or is that you um what about who who is responsible for that moment where we decide if we're going to go or not is that me or is that you so making sure it's absolutely crystal clear that you know exactly what you're doing and the learner knows exactly what they're doing and the bits that they've decided that they're going to do for themselves are the ones that you can then self-reflect on at the end of that phase of practice to see if their performance lives up to their claims of, of this is what I did this, I said I was going to do this on my own did you do it on your own yeah you did it's fine or maybe it, there's an issue there um, <clears throat> but I think going back to giving unnecessary instructions if you don't know exactly what you're responsible for you're then more likely to give instructions that were unnecessary to the learner um so i think that really the key thing is making sure you're both on the same page you know exactly what bits you're doing and how you're doing it and the learner agrees with that and they know exactly what bits they're responsible for for just that that short burst of activity that you're doing which we can then reflect on and go, right, do we need to make this easier or do we need to make it harder? You know, how did it go? Did it work? Did it not work? Do we need more of a challenge or less of a challenge? Um, but making sure it's we're all on the same page before we execute that that plan is really important. So that's why this is a risk management competency, but it completely interact, uh, interacts with the lesson planning section as well. Yeah, um, and roles and responsibilities uh, uh, as well. That it's all kind of interlinked, isn't it? Um, and and that's just the way the standards check and path three works. Is is the competencies do massively hang upon each other. Um, so the other part of this competency about saying it, like we've talked about it being in good time, but the other said like were they given to clear? Were they clear instructions? Do you have any tips for? I mean, I'm probably more talking for like PDIs here rather than ADIs to help them with things like being better at talking through like like doing a full talk through with a pupil um because again you can get marked down here for, for not being clear with your your instructions of um clutch down first gear that sort of kind of thing um uh waffling too much within this and I, and I would agree again with your prompts where you were talking about earlier um the questions and the prompts need to be clear and not like this long-winded question yeah. um do you have any tips that you give your guys for that 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I mean, full instruction, it feels like a thing from the past if you're doing the job in the modern way uh, to start with anyway, but but there is a place for it that, you know, if you're working on, in, you know, approaching roundabouts, for example, where we should be taking the, the fact that we've got responsibility for MSPSL already and we can move off and we can park up and we can do clutch control, we can do steering, we can do progressive braking, we can do all these things. So to, to full instruct someone on approach to a roundabout would suggest that their MSPSL routine is not in place and therefore their needs for that lesson is not roundabouts. <laughs> it's that, you know, so if you do that right, then there shouldn't be a need to do that. Like if you work on sub skills and stuff at the start of a, a learner's journey and they figure out how to find the biting point, how, how to set off, you know, then if you were talking them through moving off at the side of the road, you could just say, prepare the car, you know, and they should know and have the ability to go clutch down into first and find the bite successfully. Why are we working on moving off if they haven't, they can't do clutch control if they can't do that, you know, so that would be their need. Um, but there is a place for it. But so when we are using it, um, yeah, the tip that I use is that it's just bullet points. You know, like like you said, clutch down, into first, find the bike. You know, bullet points, clear and concise. Um, going back to when I was doing my training in 2007, um, I, my my training buddy, because it was all done two to one, uh, he now runs a really successful driving school in Preston. Um, so we, we both done all right for ourselves. Um, but one day he wasn't, feeling well and they buddied me up with this other guy and he was about 65 years old um and he was a bit like my husband he was like rather than say you know instead of saying it in three words i'll make this or this big dramatic sentence about it um and use loads of long words for, for no reason uh, and he was a bit like that and um he, he just couldn't get it and he was going <laughs> we're doing moving off strangely enough and he was going Okay, if you may, uh, can you can you uh, please press the clutch all the way down to the bottom? Yes, thank you very much. And and now now can you please select first gear? Thank you very much. And he was just waffling on like that. And my trainer was going clutch down into first, find the bite. So bullet points, and he just wouldn't get it. So that's what I'd always recommend for full instruction. Uh, so the learner hat doesn't have to decipher between which bit is the waffle and which bit is the instruction. Um, just bullet points. Um, and in terms of prompted instruction, I think we get that wrong massively um, across the board. Because if I asked sort of 100 PDIs, if your learner was not checking the left mirror and you were going to prompt them to check it, what would your prompt be? And 90, probably 90% of them would say, which mirror have you got to check? You know, And I always say to them, that would work. And I did that for years. But that prompt is designed to get someone to look at a piece of glass that you want them to look at. And a, pro a good prompt should be designed to get someone to think about risk, which would then subsequently get them to do the thing. You know, so the, the thing that I always say to my PDIs with this is that if you've had a good conversation in theory about risk before we've then put this plan together, then there would have been a key word somewhere. You know, so you might have said to your learner, who's saying, oh, I just, I just forgot to check my left mirror. I just, you know, just forgot. Uh, and for me, that's an attitude thing because it's, you know, we don't forget Christmas. We don't forget, you know, your mum's birthday. You don't forget to look left and right when you cross the road, but you're forgetting this. So it's not a big deal to me and we need to kind of make it a big deal. So you would talk about risk and you'd say, well, you know, if there was a cyclist there, what could happen if? You know, and your learner would have that moment of realization and go, oh, oh, 
I, I could have had a bike. It's like, right, that's good. So what would you do differently next time? Oh, I've got, I've got to make sure I check that left mirror from now on. But they didn't say cyclist and they didn't say bicycle. They said bike. You know, and at that moment, there was an image of an injured cyclist running through their mind, um, which is when they've had that moment of realization about what the risk is. And they've said bike. There is your prompt. Um, so you're then prompting them. They look in the centimeter and you go, any bikes? And as soon as you say any bikes, that image of that injured cyclist comes flooding back in their head. And as a response to that, they'll go, <laughs> check that left mirror. So a prompt should always be to get them to think about the risk again, which knits together the theoretical conversation that you've had at the side of the road about risk to the practical exercise that you're doing. Um, so if it was a right mirror thing, you could say any overtakers, and they go, Whoa. you know, if it was a sense mirror thing, you could say, how close is that car behind you? Um, and a prompt should do that. Um, I mean, something I've noticed quite a lot since I work with PDIs on part two is they have a habit of doing things they think I want them to do when they first start. Um, so they'll be approaching a traffic light that's on red. They'll look up at the center mirror and then they'll break. And I'm going, oh, that was lovely. That I bet you don't do that normally, do you? <laughs> uh, in my head. And then I'll say to them, what color was the car behind you? And they go, red. I'm like, well, why did you need to look again? And they go, oh, to be honest, I didn't see it the first time. So what's the point? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I think it prompts the good to get people to realize why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I love all of that. Um, the I agree with the talk throughs. I barely do talk throughs. Um, I, I use talk throughs and I, I explain this to my PDIs that talk me your, your it's a really important skill to have, but because it gets you out of the shit, basically. <laughs> it's it <clears throat> it's when it's when the pupil's not handling the scenario and you need to be rescued. Um, you need to have good talk through. So actually that's why it's so important to have it because it'll get you out <clears throat> out of scenarios. Um, and then the thing you were talking about with prompts, um, I like to call those action questions, the the, the which mirrors are you going to check because it evokes an action. Um, and I suppose in a way that they're not, like you're right, they're not great questions. I think maybe as you're starting out your journey as a PDI, I'm okay with like, if you can't think of a question, like get, say something. Um, and, and, and and that can be helpful but learn to, to to sort of kind of like you say invoke those questions um of like is anyone overtaken us absolutely um 100 agree with all of that only one i don't agree with is and and this is just a bugbear of mine um and i'm not a fan of disagreeing with my guess but um, is the what color is the car question yeah i get the idea behind it my I just like to tweak it a little bit because I don't care what color the car is. Because, like you said, actually, it the, um, about the bike and stuff, it, the color of the car doesn't affect our driving. What mm. I tend to go for is what's the behavior of the car behind. Yeah. Or what yeah. were what were they doing? And and you'll get the same thing, won't you? Like, oh, actually, I don't know what they were doing actually. And and it has the same thing, but that's what you really want from the person is the what are they doing not what like if it's a blue car <laughs> in that scenario it kind of comes from a place of me trying to find out if they're actually seeing looking. or are they just looking um but so i would argue identify that but what you've said is exactly the same it would yeah you're getting them to think about the behavior of the car behind you know they will see as well as look so I think yeah that's the key. 
yeah um but yeah no i like the concept behind it it's exactly the, the same idea is um uh yeah everything i agree with that i'm just trying to see if i have any more notes on 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 this um before we move on um the only other thing what i i've got a little bit about machine gun questioning um which is a, which we've kind of touched on which I don't know. It's like it quite often happens with like awareness and planning. Like you're driving through town, and you, and, and the the PDI is just sort of like, what's the bike doing? What's the what's this doing? What's that car doing? What's the pedestrian crossing doing? And all that sort of thing. The people's like, oh, what's what the hell? And it's that distracting again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the yeah. And how do you go? How do you go about that? Then how do you sort of kind of negate that? Um, I thought, well, that was when I did my last standards check. That was one of the things that I got pulled up on myself. Um, okay. Is I was, and I think it was from a place of I'm trying to get as much learning done as possible because yep. my last standards check, which I actually voluntarily applied for because I needed to get an A to apply for audit, um, it was it was really uh, it was like a high pressure thing because if I didn't get an A, then a B was like a fail to me for for what I needed to do. To I need I needed an A more than anything. And um, yeah, she, I scored an A, but I, that's what she scored me down for is that I was I was overloading her with too much of it. Um, so I think it's, you know, it, it again comes down to what we said earlier, which is, you know, ask ask someone a question, but then, you know, wait for the response and, and, and let them, you know, think about what you said and respond to it because you don't really need to mention everything that's on the road. So base your questions on the key things that you've seen. Uh, if there's nobody at the zebra crossing, do we need to mention it? If there's someone walking near it, then we'd mention it. You know, so it's it's really the idea is you, you're asking questions to get your your PDI's eyes up the road, um, because they need their eyes on full beam when they're watching learners. So it's kind of a it's a part two slash part three skill. It's it's transferable. Um, so I think asking questions designed to to get them to see you know get them to look further than they would normally look and i think that works with learners as well because learners have a habit of looking down the bonnet don't they so if you can get their eyes further up the road and and making plans early for what they've seen early then it removes the suddenly factor from a lot of things yeah no i i'd agree with that and i and i i think particularly the bit you mentioned about you don't have to talk about everything on the road and i think that's in a way you don't have to stuff all the learning into the first loop <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> it's basically um like the, there'll be other times around that you can add add to the, add to the learning i think that can sometimes be the issue that that's what i do with uh when i'm doing commentary driving so i think commentary driving for a part two person is is really valuable because it's something they can do outside the sessions and utilize private practice better because they're doing something that's not being autopilot doing what i always do um it's changing what i always do and you get different results than what they always do and um we do that in a kind of a layered process where we'd, we'd look at maybe the first layer and they're just calling out triangles circle signs road markings and bends so they don't have to mention anything else but i'm not i'm not asking questions i'm getting them to tell me um and i think that's better than firing questions at them so they're calling out you know i can see a, there's a triangle there for a bend uh the rod's bending to the right um and we're not mentioning anything else that that's layer one um and then in layer two we add in things that could make you deviate so if it's going to make you steer or break add that in as well so now we're talking about rod signs bends and uh, rod markings 
and maybe park cars and traffic lights ahead and zebra crossings ahead and just just literally calling them out nothing further just see it and say it and then in the third layer we're now going to talk about we're going to do the same as layer one and two but this time we're going to talk about what we're going to do about it so then they're talking themselves through what they can see and what their plan is and that's where it becomes educational because they can coach themselves now that they're telling themselves what they need to do about what they've seen um and then in the fourth layer we added anticipation you know what could happen if you know and what am i going to do in case it happens and then you end up with this person who can commentary drive really well but they've they've you know and the good thing about layering is if it's not working if they are overloaded we can go back to the previous layer and get that working as well so it works well part two because it, it allows pdis to understand that concept that they're going to use with their learners which is if it's working then challenge them further but if it's not working support them further hmm, definitely um, and and i think commentary as well helps because it gets you used to getting your words out as well so it then translates over to the part three as well um and yeah no it's definitely it's a great 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 tool for um both part two and part three and linking linking the two i think there, there was talk about um commentary driving becoming part of the part two test mm. um, I, I think it should be um yeah i think i think that would be a good idea because it's such a key tool you know because if you're looking if you've got your eyes on full beam on part two and you're looking ahead and you're noticing stuff really far away then on part two you can notice that stuff and then you can start looking at your learner to see if they're reacting to what you've seen when you would do it so it ties in with you know was the trainer uh, was the trainer aware of the surroundings and the pupils actions which is one of the like, the key risk management competencies so it's that all comes from good part two training i think yep absolutely 100 um so shall we move on to our unit on the national standards for driver and rider training um so we're going to talk about unit five which is evaluate and develop your knowledge understanding and skills in the driver stroke rider training industry so again Lee, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in with just Tell me what you think. Um, well, I think before we started recording today, you, you summed it up really nicely. So there's there's eight different performance standards in this one, and there's 14 requirements of stuff that you need to know and understand. So knowledge, understanding, 14 things, stuff you need to do, eight things. Um, and you summed it up perfectly when you just <laughs> just do CPD. <laughs> that's what that's what they all mean. Um I mean, the, the, one of them is really interesting. It, it says like, one of the knowledge and understanding requirements um, in the unit five of the national standard for driver and rider training is to have a knowledge and understanding of the requirements of the national standard for driver and rider training. I love that, but yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's like when you're a kid and you plug your video camera into your TV and you point it at your TV and you get that infinite warp of TVs through your TV. <laughs> That's what that <laughs> exactly what that is. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's basically a list of stuff that I I didn't do, um, you know. And like I said earlier, all my mistakes are good examples of what not to do and how to get yourself out of a hole if you put yourself in one. That that stupid ostrich thing again, smash straight into the sand. Um, and I think with this, I, I'm I'm not alone with this. This is a thing um, that instructors in this industry generally only take CPD when they need to um and that's the people that take their own cpd seriously are for me a minority um and the people listening to this will disagree with that but that's why they're listening to this 
Um, and the ones that would benefit genuinely from the stuff like this podcast and like Terry's podcast and the other ones are the ones that won't be listening to it and probably never will. Um, so, you know, it's, it's so important to get that, that mindset of get better or stand still. Um, and a lot of people get like that because they failed the status check twice like me. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, if we're going off the way that the highway code is written, you know, it says the highway code is musts and shoulds. Um, this is a list of, of, of musts. <laughs> it's, it says you must. So it's almost like saying these are the things that you must do or else. Um, but there is no really what, you know, there is no really, how, how do we police that? Um, because a lot of people don't even know this, this exists. You know, I speak to a lot of people who have failed part three or a standard check twice. And I'll ask them what their knowledge of the national standard for driver and rider training is. And they go, what's that? So if you don't know it exists, how can you police yourself against it? Um, and I think there is one way that we are get we we do get policed against that stuff that you must do from this uh, criteria, and that's the standards check. Um, so in a in a roundabout way, you know, no pun intended, the standards check is the the policing of these this criteria, um, and eventually you will get found out if you're not, you know. So you could go, oh, I don't need CPD, I'm fine. But eventually there'll be a point where it it looks like you should have done <laughs> because of the result you got on your standards check. Um, so it says you must know and understand the requirements of standards check. That's that's one of them. So it all kind of intermingles because you need to know and understand standards check. Uh, you need to know and understand this stuff. And if you do that, you will then be all right at standards check. So it all kind of, it all kind of links together. Um, but, you know, I see it all, you know, you see it on Facebook all the time. Uh, Am I right to teach a maneuver on standards check? It's like no. Why do you not know that? And and if you if you read the the, up, the updated version of this, then you'll know you can't. You know of the criteria. Um, but it, it's I think it's it's a lack of understanding of the criteria for standards check, the ADI one, and it's a lack of understanding of the criteria of this that that causes people to to kind of go in a hole because um, people don't do that. They don't, they don't read it. Um, so I think that's the key thing is you've, you've got to, and I always commend the people that I work with through ADI Doctor, the ones that have gone, I've not got a standards check booked, but I want to get ahead of the game. Um, same with people on part three. And those people are, I just look at them and go, I wish I was you. I wish I'd have been like that um, before I went through the, the trauma of failing two standards checks the year before my wedding. And then spending weeks and weeks going, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to afford my wedding. You know, all this, all this could have been avoided. Um, so I think that's that's one of the key things is you know make sure you know and understand what you need to know and understand about the job that you're trying to do. Uh, and if you don't, find out. And if you can't find out, then get someone to explain it to you. Yeah, like the, partly that's why I wanted to do this section of the podcast is not enough people read it and i'm hoping by talking about it people will go and, and read it in a bit more detail uh, or at least take some snippets from what what we've said um but yeah definitely this you you're right it, it's this section so like it is just like do cpd but it's a new and, and i actually i hadn't even taken into account the fact that it said must 
um, and 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 how yeah not like oh please do this it's like if you want to be a driving instructor you must do this cpd and, and like you said then it's it's hard to police other than it shows up on, on the standards check the i do think that there's an element and I've, and i've spoken to quite a few people recently about this where when you pass your part three there's this element of not not even actually I, I think from from the um newly qualified adi's perspective but that you it, you're done and 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 you get dropped a little bit by your trainer or um and it maybe if you're in like a smaller franchised um company that you might be getting a bit more support i know i sort of kind of do with my guys um but yeah there isn't but I suppose it was just element, and even then, I think my guys don't get as much attention as they did when they got when they were PDIs. Um, and I think this is where that that and it, you obviously kind of went down a similar story where you were done. I I'm trying to think back when I was first training. I, I'm sure there was definitely a period where I I I was just I was done, but then I started like uh, when I was working for BSM, there was there was lots of different courses going on and I just took up every opportunity to go on a course. Um, but there is this, I suppose podcasts like this are great. Um, and, and Terry's podcast, uh, because I think actually it's more important to do, and the word, the key word is continuous, uh, professional development to do lots of little bits than what almost than one workshop a year, because I think that's a lot of information in a really short in like a short space of time and then you just you're not going to keep all that information and then you're not going to implement you're going to implement even less and then it's some of it's going to stick some of it's not whereas if you're just doing little baby steps all the time um you're going to develop much better as a driving instructor um so yeah i think that's probably the way i would sort of kind of go about this now if i was starting out in the in the industry yeah i mean it's if you think about what you said there about kind of it feels like you're dropping them and they're out on their own. It's, it's exactly the same with learners, isn't it? It's like how many learners ring you up two weeks after the test and say, oh, I was at this roundabout, I'm not sure. That, that just doesn't happen. It's just like a severing, you know, most of the time. Um, I mean, one of the things that it mentions in Unit 5 is, you know, evaluate yourself. Um, and that should always be against your knowledge of the standards check criteria and the national standard criteria. Um you know, we, we don't unfortunately live in, a, unfortunately or fortunately is one of them. We don't live in a world anymore where you can do this job your way and Joe Bloggs Driving School does it differently on his street next to you and your both get passes and it all works and it's lovely. You know, the when, when the national standard was written, it was to create this kind of uniform approach. So we don't get these cowboys that we, we used to have in the industry. Uh, like my driving instructor, for example, who I would... You know, he would say, pull up on the left, Lee. So we'd pull up on the left and then, oh, we're at the shops. And he'd get out and go and get some cigarettes, <laughs> right? This this kind of cowboy approach, it feels like with the national standard, that that's what it is. It's a standard and it's, it's far higher than it used to be. Um, and the idea is to create better instructors and therefore better learners and therefore better safer drivers on the road. Um, so it's it's raising the bar and, and you've got to stick to it because it's the minimum standard of, of where you need to be. Um, you know, we don't live in that world anymore. It's, it's now like, a, you know, if you go into Tesco in a different town, you know where the bread is because they, they want that uniform approach where if a learner goes to a different instructor, they are the same. 
know, they, they are, they're using the same sort of structure. Uh, not exactly, but, you know, but similar. Um, and there's only one way you can do it now. And, and that's where a lot of people fail part three and standards check where, and this is what I failed as well, where I've done it my way and my way works and I get, I get loads of passes and I get loads of good feedback. And the examiner just looks at it and goes, that's the national standard for driver and rider training. And that was you. And that didn't reflect that. So you failed. So working in a way every day that meets the standard of the national standard is the best way you can, you know, the best way you can keep on top of things. Um, you know, not only will it help develop learners faster because the techniques in the national standard are better than what we used to use, you know, and I can say that because I've done both. Um, so your learners will develop faster and they'll obtain a long-term learning easier. Um, but you're also practicing for getting an A on your standards check every bloody lesson. So it's good for you as well, right? Um, so it's, I mean, you can't police this because people are self-employed and they'll do what they want. Um, but what I give to my PDIs is like a self-reflection form um, that they can either laminate or print off loads of them, whatever they want to do. But it's to be filled in at the end of the lesson when the learner gets out. And it's a list of questions to generate self-reflection, you know. Um, and, and all these questions are based on the criteria of the, the ADI one and the, the national standard. Um, did you do this? Um, is one of the, you know, the questions. And underneath, they have to write down their thoughts. I did do this or I didn't do this. I met the criteria or I didn't meet the criteria. So they can then look at that and that then helps them for the next lesson because their needs and their goals come from their self-reflection of that lesson that I could have done better with, you know? So what could I do differently on my next lesson to, to meet the criteria closer, to match the criteria compared to the previous lesson? Um, and I think when people get into that mindset of doing that, you're looking at it and going, this is what I did. This was the criteria. Did it match? How can I make it match next time? You know, am I seeing a pattern of missing this certain criteria over and over again? You know, is that something I need to take up with Lee and go, Lee, I'm struggling with this one. I know I'm struggling with this because I've matched my performance against the criteria in this self-reflection form. Because um, like we said earlier with, with learners, learners learn best when they self-reflect on their own performance. But as PDIs, we're not doing that as much. And I think especially with PDIs, it's all about, the learner and they, they, seem, they seem to care more about the learner than their own development, you know, and the amount of times that I get people through and they say, I've got my part, my final part three attempt in three weeks time. Can you fit me in? And I go, well, I'm, I'm booked up for like seven, eight weeks, but I've got, I could do eight o'clock uh, on next Thursday. You know, I don't work at eight o'clock, but I could fit you in at eight o'clock um, because it's your part three soon. And they go, I can't do it. I've got a lesson. I'm like, well, read the lesson then, you know, think about yourself, you know, like you should be, you know, uh, the, the phrase that I always, you know, say to them is, well, if you did fail your part three, you're not going to have any learners to worry about. <laughs> it's pretty harsh, but it, it registers the point, um, you know, that self-reflection is, is where learning happens and you're not self-reflecting on your own performance lesson by lesson. So you're just churning out the same thing over and over again. And it doesn't take me to come and go, this is the criteria, this is what you did. You should be able to do that yourself uh, if you know what the criteria is. Um, so I think that that self-reflection form is a good way of doing it. 
But of course, you know, sometimes they stick to it and do it every day. And some people are going and they've got dog hairs on back seat, you know, cover the reflection form covered in dog hairs. So it's like you, you've got to you've got to help yourself. Um, I mean, something that I've been thinking about for a long time that I think would be a really good way of 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 helping with CPD um, is like a mentorship program within the industry, um, because that's kind of what I did kind of unofficially um because i'm the kind of person that i can't hear different voices uh, it just distracts me it's confusing so I, I, when i was in that hole of i failed my standards check twice and i've got one attempt left i've got right i've got howard i've got bob i've got graham hooper i've got chris benstead i've got there's loads of options here but i think i'm just going to pick one and i pick bob because I, I liked his youtube videos and I've never done a CPD session with anyone that's not Bob because I believe Bob is like the, the top trainer in the UK and I don't need distractions. I'm just going to focus on Bob and, and Bob's voice. And I think, so I've done it kind of unofficially, but I think PDI is coming in when you said that we have that kind of severing, you know, I think if we had, you know, some sort of unofficial thing or some sort of official thing where we have a mentor within the industry, that we can bounce stuff off because, you know, it's a lonely world as an ADI and you've not got a boss, you've not got a line manager that you can, you know, so I think it's a good idea to have someone within the industry that you can use as like a soundboard and you can do CPD with them and someone that can get you on course and someone that can keep you on course. Um, Cause that's what I did. You know, that's what I've done with Bob, you know, and we've ended up being good friends rather than being like, you know, my mentor, you know, it's not what you said. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm so, I'm not surprised at all. But it's kind of like a casual mentorship. There's nothing written down. There's nothing in that. But it's he is my mentor, and and he will be the first person I put questions to or ask advice from. And I think if if every PDI coming into the industry had that person, then they wouldn't be on their own. They won't be constantly making mistakes that will only catch them out when they do the standards check. Yeah, no, I I I love that idea, and I. I did the same um and and Lou Lou was my mentor and um and definitely sort of every every time I needed something I, I went I went to Lou for that the it's interesting actually and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to to plug my new membership which we we are seeing as a mentorship mentorship um so with inspiring such training and Diana and um Decalion, and we're, we're going to sort of release a bit more information about it as as we as we go. That that is our goal is is that we're creating a a mentorship really that that people can pay a, a okay you got to pay a monthly fee but that's because we need we 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 want to be paid for our time which is fair enough. Um, but your it, it's ongoing and it's continuous and it's and we are effectively saying come come join us and we will be your mentors in this situation through zooms through training videos uh through one-to-ones um through a facebook group and basically we're going to be that person for you um in the way that lou was that person for all three of us and that's kind of what we want to want to create so yeah it's interesting you sort of kind of said that and and i think it's interesting that you went and found that person in, in bob and that's i don't think there's any way of like forcing that on the industry 
but maybe that is like you said what people need to do is they need to effectively latch on to someone and yeah. and and go that way because i think you're right actually there's lots of different um noises and sort of kind of ways of talking like oh, i've spoken to several different trainers on this podcast and you all have different styles t- to a certain extent so maybe it's a case of try them try that try a few um and then and then choose the one that that you're then going to continue to do your training with maybe it's listened to to this podcast or terry's podcast um and you get a flavor of um what what they're about um so i always say this I, if i recommend someone to you i i always say well, he's got a, he's got an episode on terry's podcast go and listen to him first and see if you get that vibe um, and that's why nobody yeah, that's why nobody ever rings me <laughs> that's why i never get any recommendations i'll recommend them to listen to this episode now so maybe they'll enjoy it a bit more uh, <laughs> the um but yeah i i i think that's absolutely should be the way that we go about it because you're I, I agree with what it says in the national standards here where it says about self-reflection, but it sometimes you need someone else's perspective or you need to bounce ideas off someone else um, um, or some feedback from someone else. And again, it says that in the national standards as well. So yeah, a hundred percent sort of kind of like, that's the way we kind of want to take, take what we're, what we're going to be offering. Um, sorry, I, I couldn't help but throw in a massive plug there because you were talking basically about what we're, gonna, what we're offering. Um, so before I give you, um, uh, so I actually, yeah, well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up a little bit there, unless you have anything else you want to add about the national standards or. Um, no, I mean, read it. Uh, that's what I'll add to it. <laughs> yeah. Go read it. Yeah, don't just listen to us yabber on about it. Um, so um, I ask everyone on the podcast to finish off with a final like top tip for um ADIs and PDIs. But before you give us that top tip, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and what you offer? Um, yeah, I offer uh, part three and standards check training. Um, I offer full courses for part two and part three locally, but I offer nationwide support for part three and for standards check training. Um, whether you are, you know, training uh, for your first attempt or whether you find yourself in a situation where you've not been successful, then I can then I can help. Um, you can find me on adidoctor.co.uk or pdidoctor.co.uk, uh, the twins for whichever persuasion you are um or on facebook or any of the social media channels so um everything starts with a conversation so if you've got questions and you feel that i could help them hit me up and we'll have a chat brilliant um so come on then what's your top tip for adis and pdis um my top tip would be um especially if you're a pdi you know, going into part three or, a, you know, an ADI going into standards check is make sure you do everything you can to know exactly what's required. Um, and you can get a lot of that from the, the the stuff that's been online and available for a long time, like the ADI one. Um, but if you don't know, don't just give it a go. Um, you know, make sure you know exactly what you're up against, uh, what the criteria is and what you need to do to satisfy that criteria. Um, because that gives you the best chance of success. Cool. Yeah, I like I like that. And like you said, if you don't know, go go speak to Lee. Um, so, <laughs> um, don't don't just ask a random ADI that will give you their opinion on it. I think is probably the the key. Ask someone who lives and breathes this this sort of stuff. 
um to to sort of help you i mean, wouldn't mind that when i was um when, when i was training my driving my trainer said to me um if you've got two driving instructors in a room there'll be three opinions and i didn't get it at the time but i think since the explosion of social media uh, being a pdi now is like a minefield you've got all these all this youtube content um all this stuff and some of it is just crap um and and it's it's not fair that it's being thrown at people and they've got all these different voices this is why i said i focused on one voice um because when youtube came out you know back in the day it's its slogan was broadcast yourself um and before that point to be broadcasted you had to know your stuff um <laughs> on tv or radio but now you don't have to know your stuff at all uh, and there's lots of voices and not all of it is particularly helpful um especially some of the older videos that may have been useful before maybe the part three or the standards check changed um in 2020 so a lot of it is advice on you know how you can take someone new and you can teach a new subject and if you happen to listen to that video now and it's got loads of views and loads of likes it might be out of date and it's still up, you know. So, yeah. Um, if you're not sure, then ask. And the best questions that you don't, uh, the, the the best questions are the ones that the stupid questions are the ones that you don't ask. That's where I was going with that. Um, so if there's anything that you're not sure about, ask your trainer. If you don't get clarity from your trainer, ask someone else who knows what they're talking about. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, we're going to wrap that up then. Um, so thank you, Lee, for joining us and spending the little bit of your time sort of educating everyone um so yeah thank you you're most welcome thank you inspire instructor podcast where the learning never stops mm-hmm.